The scripture reading today is uh, Acts 17, verses 22 to 25. In your pew Bibles, that's page 785. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For I was walking along, and I saw many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you are worshipping without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. There are probably things in life that gets you really excited. And right now, as I say that, you're thinking of something, okay? I talked to Gary Zorn this week. He was talking about how he's on a 55 and over hockey team. And my guess is that if Gary ever scores a goal, he gets just as excited as Sidney Crosby would get scoring the final goal of the Stanley Cup, or maybe win the Olympic Games. Is that true? He's thinking, no, not really. (laughs) But there are things, there are things about which we get excited. Let me tell you one of mine. I absolutely love to read and focus on the scriptures. Like it almost makes me giddy at times, when I'm reading the Bible. And I can be reading along, and I'll see something maybe that I've never seen before. Or maybe I'll see something that I've seen numerous times before, but God just fills my heart with the presence of his Spirit in the process of reading, and something exciting happens in my soul. And I get jazzed. I get excited about the Bible. And it's not uncommon for me to grab those who are around me and say to them, have you seen this? And I don't know if if the rest of you get excited that way about reading scripture, but I do. There's just something that happens between me and God when I'm reading the Bible that doesn't really happen at any other time and in any other way. We've been talking about this in the Sunday morning class for a while now. Just the idea that when you read scripture, God is there. And the spirit is there and something happens when you read the Bible. And sometimes it can be relatively, uh, it would seem innocuous, the thing you, you read. But because it's God and because it's his spirit, something happens there between the human heart and the word. And that was happening with me this week some. It happened again just kind of an instance of this, on Thursday night, I don't know how many of you know Shane Lopez. Shane, would you just stand for me for a second? Wave at the crowd. Okay, thank you. Shane is the husband of Sagan, and Sagan has been here for some time. You've been here for almost a year, about a year, right, Sagan? You've been here about a year? Yeah, just about. Okay, and uh, and Shane recently got here too from Malaysia. They've they've uh, moved here. They're now living uh, in Canada. And in fact, uh, Shane is an accountant. So if you're an accountant and you know some kind of networking thing that he could get into in terms of accounting, that would be great. And so, um, but but on Thursday night after our life group, 
Shane came up to me and he said, I got to tell you how wonderful it is for me to be here and to be sharing in these conversations that we're having about the Bible. And you could see on Shane's face his excitement about reading the scriptures together and about, about studying them and talking about them in our life group. It was like he was just filled with excitement. And I thought, here is a kindred spirit. Here's a guy who gets ex- as excited about the scriptures as I do and the way that God wants to communicate to us about the scriptures. Excitement about the scriptures is a very good thing. Well, one of the things that I noticed in the clip from last week, remember the clip that I showed about the three ladies who were in Indonesia and they had been arrested for teaching children in Bible school about Jesus and they were in prison now? And I, I, I think their sentence was six months or something in prison for serving the Lord and for teaching children about Jesus. But the thing that you didn't see if you watched the film was sadness. There was an excitement on the faces of these ladies. In fact, I I found it striking. Here they are in jail. At one point, they're peering through some bars. Do you recall this? They're looking through the bars, and as they're looking through the bars, being interviewed about their plight in jail, they've all got smiles on their faces. Now, I don't know about you, But if I was in jail, I think it might be a little difficult for me to have a smile on my face. But they did. Reminiscent of Paul and Silas, as we saw last week, singing praises to God after they have just been beaten with rods. They've just been beaten with sticks for their faith in Christ because they've been sharing the gospel with people. They find themselves now in jail. It's the middle of the night. And what are they doing? Singing praises to the Lord. And loud enough so that all the other prisoners hear them and the jailer hears them. The jailer hears them proclaiming the wonders of God and he actually responds. Well, this attitude on the part of these ladies in prison, the attitude of Paul and Silas, the attitude of so many people, even faced with difficult times, combined, so you take that attitude, combined with God who blesses his children, even in the darkest of circumstances, it ends up being a wonderful experience that God uses. And I was, I was just so struck by that even this week as I was thinking about the scriptures. People in some places can't read the scriptures and get the joy from them that I get because they're prohibited from doing so. And so there are some countries in which you have to smuggle in the scriptures in order for people to read them. But when God is working like that in people's lives... There is blessing. And the hardships and the sacrifices that one makes for Jesus are clearly worth it. Wouldn't you agree? And I'm, I'm excited this week. I was excited as I was reading the Bible, preparing for this lesson, but then just, just reading the scriptures. Excited about God and the way that he works in the lives of the apostles, especially when it comes to them communicating to people about God, about Jesus and what he's done, and how there's nothing that could stop them. Nothing could stop their excitement. Nothing could stop their joy. Nothing could stop stop their excitement about even the scriptures themselves. And it made me think that we should be excited too. I want you to look at Acts 17. We don't have time to discuss everything in detail this morning about what's going on in this chapter. It's an unbelievable chapter, an amazing chapter. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to point out a few things here. 
I'm going to go through the chapter quickly, read quite a bit of it, point some things out, and then at the end, I'm going to ask you to do something. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. It says, When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Now notice Paul keeps up his pattern. At one point he says to the Jews, I'm done with you, I'm wiping my feet, shake the dust off my feet. But he just can't help himself. He keeps going back to the Jewish synagogue. He keeps going back to his own people because he loves them and he wants to hear the word, wants them to hear the word of God. So even though he's he's thinking, oh, I need to move on to the Gentiles, and he certainly becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, he loves the Jews so much that he just keeps going back to them. So as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. And again, there's three things here I really want us to see from these verses. The first is, as I said, Paul doesn't give up from the, to the, on the Jews. He insists on preaching to his own people, wanting to make sure that they hear the good news of Christ, about Christ. The second thing is, is that it says he reasons with them from the scriptures. Now that's especially exciting to me. I like this whole idea of reasoning from the scriptures. I like the fact that Paul did that. I like the fact that some of them at least were willing to do that with him. They went into this with some kind of interest. Some of them did anyway. And so they reasoned with Paul from the scriptures. And then it says that some of them even believed. So some of the Jews end up believing. Now look at verse 5. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. Now, the text doesn't say this, but there are some other passages that would lead one to believe that Jason is probably a, relatives of, a relative of Paul's. He could have been a cousin, maybe even an uncle, who knows. But I think he may have been a relative of Paul's, and that's why that, he was, that Paul was staying with him. But when they didn't find them, verse 6, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Now, this is interesting. Why is it that Jason and those who are with him get in trouble? Well, it's because they've been paying attention to Paul. They are marked now. And they are marked as being those who actually follow the scriptures the way that Paul unfolded them. And so Paul lays before them the scriptures. He reasons with the Jews. And, and Jason may have even been one here who ends up coming to Christ. And as he does, he ends up being persecuted for his faith. Well, all of that is, in one sense, wonderful. And in one sense, horrible. It's horrible that these Christians would have to experience that. On the other hand, it's an incredible blessing that they were willing to listen to the scriptures and to respond to them. And, and don't, you, don't you marvel at? Like, doesn't it, doesn't it excite you a little bit to think that these people were willing to hear the scriptures reasoned by Paul? And in hearing the scriptures, gave themselves over completely to what they read. 
They made that choice. I hear the scriptures being proclaimed. And in the process, in response to what I hear in the scriptures, I give myself to God. I give myself to Jesus. Now, I think that's wonderful. The story continues. And in one sense, it gets even better. Look at verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. This is the next town kind of down the coast as you're moving uh, south and west from Thessalonica along the Aegean Sea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the, And again, typical fashion, Paul goes to the Jewish synagogue. Even though he said he's done with them, he keeps going there, I think, because they're his people. He loves them. He wants to make sure they hear the word of God. Now, the Brians, it says, were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness and examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many in this case of the Jews believed as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Now what I find fascinating here is the different response in Berea than what we see in Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, there are some people who listen. Paul reasons with them about the scriptures and there is some response. If you look at those first few verses in the description about Thessalonica, it specifically says that some of them, some of the Jews, believed, and not a small number of the Greek-speaking people as well. But it only says some. When you get over to Berea, it's a different kind of claim that's made. Instead, this time, the response is not just some people believe, It specifically says that many people believed. And the wording in Greek is the same as it is in English. It's quite different. Some is not the same thing as many. If I said there are some people in church on Sunday morning, then we would say, okay, well, that was an all right Sunday. But if I said there are many people in church on Sunday morning, everybody would say that's great. And we would see a distinction there between some and many. And the distinction is just as true in Greek as it is in English. And so there is not the same kind of response in the city of Thessalonica as there is in Berea. And why is that? It's not because Paul adopts a different method. It says that he goes into the synagogue in Berea just the way that he'd done in Thessalonica. I think that Paul in Berea is preaching the same kind of message. He's got the same kind of things to say. But the description of the people in verses 11 and 12 in Berea, is different than the the description of those who are in Thessalonica. It says in verse 11 again, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. There's a a judgment made there about the character of these people. And why is the character different? For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. This is interesting. This is Shane Lopez on a Thursday night getting excited about what he sees in the scriptures. This is people saying, with great eagerness, show me the word of God. I want to know the Bible. I want to hear what scripture has to say about this Jesus. And so they search diligently to see whether or not the things that Paul is saying are true. And man, I just get excited about reading about the Bereans. 
It's exciting for me to see their excitement as they hear from Paul the message communicated. And so what it sounds to me like with the Brians is we've got some open hearts here. We've got people who are willing to investigate an eagerness about examining the scriptures. Now, these are Jews. They're being challenged to think about, in one sense, an earth-shattering message. They haven't heard before about Jesus as Messiah. They've been waiting all their lives for Messiah to come. There is nothing more significant for these Jews than that they hear something about Messiah. If someone comes and says, Messiah came, it wouldn't just be like, it's snowing on Sunday again. It would be earth-shattering. This would absolutely blow them out of the water. Everything about their religious lives would completely be altered from that moment if they believe this. And they're excited. They're excited about the newness that comes with this message about Jesus. And so it says in verse 12, many Jews believed. And the reason why many believed and not just some is because their hearts were so open to what the scriptures were saying. And so, we need to just keep going to the scriptures, brothers and sisters. We need to keep going to the scriptures. We need to be excited about what God has communicated to us on the written page. My sense of the Bible is that God has given it to us for all those things, the teaching, the rebuking, the reproofing, the training in righteousness, all of those things that 2 Timothy 3.16 says. God has communicated himself, and his spirit is alive in the word as it comes to us. And so when Shane has the experience on a Thursday night of hearing the scriptures talked about, read, and discussed, it's not just a human process. It's the Holy Spirit who is there, part of that process, teaching us and growing us up in him. When I was uh, just ready to, to finish graduate school, I was getting ready to go to my first ministry position. I told the Lord, I will go anywhere you want me to go in the world, God, but I will not go to Los Angeles. And you've heard this story before. There was one offer that really came to me, and it was from a church in L.A. And so Robin and I thought about that. And we thought, for sure, this has got to be from God because we told him we weren't going there. <laughs> and so he took us right there. And it was a wonderful, wonderful ministry experience to be able to go there and spend time in L.A. and to do ministry there. We were greatly blessed by the whole experience. Just before I left, I went into the office of my favorite professor, Tom Albright. And I said, Dr. Albright, I'm getting ready to go into the ministry. I want to go serve the church. And... Um, I said, there are so many things here that I have learned that are different than what I had when I came in here. Like, I just have learned so much. My mind has been changed. I'm a different person than I was when I came in here. And now I'm going out to a church that is probably just like the ones I left. And I want to know how it is that I can go into a church and be effective in preaching and teaching about all the things that I've learned that are so new and different. How can I do that effectively and not just have myself run out of town. And he sat back and he was very methodical and he was agonizingly slow with his answer. And I kept waiting and I, he actually said a few words and I thought he was done and I was really disappointed and I was getting to re ready to leave and then he started talking again. <laughs> and I was glad he did. He said, Kelly, there's only one thing that you can do 
in talking to our people about who they should be in Christ. And he said, that is, you have to keep going back to the scriptures. You have to go there and go there and go there. And if the things that you're saying can't be proved from the scriptures, then you don't have a hope. And I think he was exactly right. And so if I'm ever wrong about something, if I say something and you think to yourself, I don't think he's right about that. I want you to know that I'm absolutely willing and ready for you to come and talk to me about it. And when you do, I want you to come with your Bible open. Come and show me in the word of God what we're talking about. Because that's exactly the spirit that I see in the Bereans. They were with eagerness hearing the word and coming to Paul and saying, we're going to check and see if the things that you're saying are right and we're going to do so by reading the scriptures. And, oh, I can get excited about that. I love it. And, and I love it when people agree with me too. But I love it when people disagree with me. When people come to me and say, Let's look at the Bible together. I don't think the Bible says what you think it says. I absolutely love that. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever in my life gotten mad at somebody for coming and saying, I think you're wrong about the Bible. Maybe wrong about other things I might get uptight about. But not about the scriptures. Because this is the spirit that I see in the Bible when it comes to the questions about the church and belief and the things that were supposed to be in Christ. Come and let's talk about the Bible will come and will reason together. I want to discuss the Bible. And I get absolutely excited doing so. Now, that's not really even the sermon. Look at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Notice that Paul is reasoning again, in this case, with pagans, with Greeks. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. Notice that these men are as noble in one sense as the Brians. They want to hear the truth. And in this case, they're not Jews who are wondering about it, but they're Athenians, Greeks, philosophers, and they too want to search these things out. Verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So you can see where they're coming from. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. Now, what's so neat about this particular passage is the way that it coheres with our world today. We live in a world of Athenians. 
We live in a world where people are longing, in many cases, to discuss. And if we find the right people, and I'm not saying everybody is this way, but there are a lot of people in our world who want to discuss religious things. You can turn on a television at any time, just about, and find somebody who's talking about something that runs pretty close to spirituality. And you can hear it on talk shows. You can hear it on special religious programming. There are all kinds of people in our world who want to discuss things, even spiritual things. And the beauty is, this was Paul's position, the beauty is, is that we have something with which to discuss to discuss with them. We can discuss with them the revelation of God that is written in the scriptures. And so if one knows the scriptures well, one has a chance to communicate in our world to people who are interested in discussing just these kinds of things. And Paul certainly was. And we need to be too. What Paul does in the next few verses is essentially describe God. And so here's an assignment for the week. What I want you to do is I want you to read verses 24 through 31 in Acts 17. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 31. And, of course, what I'm hoping is that you'll jump into this with eagerness. What I'm hoping is that you'll think to yourselves, we're going to dive into the scriptures. We're going to find out what Paul has to say about God and how Paul communicated God to the Athenians. Now, what I've done is I've gone through this, and I I don't know if you're going to get the same list as me. I've arranged a list of 13 things, 13 claims, 13 uh, propositions. The word propositions in this case just mean a, a declarative statement where Paul says, this is true of God. There are 13 things that Paul says about God in verses 24 through 31. And I'm wanting you to see if you can come up with my list. And then if you come up with a different list, you can open your Bible and say, wait a minute, let's talk about this list. I've got a different list than you. And next Sunday, I'm just going to run through my list and tell you the 13 things that I got out of that passage that say something about who God is. Because Paul says, this is what God's like. This is what God does. This is who God is. And he does that in 13 statements, I think. And we'll see if you can get the same. Maybe you'll have 13, but it'll be different. Or maybe you'll get 15. But I'm wanting us to have an opportunity here to search the scriptures with some eagerness and find out who God is, specifically as Paul communicates him to the Athenians. And again, the reason is because we live in a world, we live in a culture that I think is very similar to what Paul was facing. Pluralistic, lots of gods running around out there, lots of discussion going on about spirituality. We live in this postmodern world where we say things like, there is no such thing as truth. And my impression is that that's what the philosophers are thinking. They're not sure where truth is. They're looking at it in all kinds of different perspectives. For As far as they're concerned, Paul is just one more. One more on the list of all the things that can be considered. 
And Paul jumps right into their backyard and begins to tell them about his God and about his son Jesus. I think we'll see some neat things about God as we look at the scriptures together over the next week. And finding things out about God in the scriptures is a very good thing. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us your word. And God, we believe that your spirit works through your word to teach us and guide us and help us to be what you want us to be. And so, Father, we pray that in the next week, as we together look at these verses from Acts 17, that you do teach us. Father, for those who aren't eager, create eagerness in their hearts. Help us to get excited about what you've done through your word, the ways in which you work to convince people of the truth about your son. And we thank you for this truth in our postmodern world where Paul goes in and teaches something about you and about your son. Father, we pray that the world would see that truth, not just as Paul proclaimed it, but as we do. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.